Hey, welcome to the Ron Johnson Discipleship Podcast. This to me is your weekly dose of uh, reality as the biblical worldview touches everything about life. I can't think of anything more relevant. I always get excited about our time to chat because there's so much to talk about and it literally all you know, comes back to the source of truth, Jesus Christ himself. And so our worldview uh, is more vital now, I think, than ever. And, and our goal on this podcast is to help you connect those dots and see how you know, absolutely relevant uh, that worldview is. In fact, I, you know, I love being a pastor because when you stand in the pulpit and you ask the question, is Jesus Lord of all? Of course, the answer is yes, yes. he is. Mm-hmm. And then you say, well, does that, so whatever Jesus says is something we need to be talking about. And then everybody says, amen. And then you get to the next point, which is Jesus said a lot about a lot of things, including government, including public policy, including sexual ethics. I mean, the list goes on and on. So literally, the pulpit cannot be muzzled because if Jesus addresses it or the Bible speaks about it, then we have the authority in Christ to talk about those things. Mm -hmm. So instead of a narrow pulpit, you have a very wide pulpit. uh, And you have a very relevant pulpit because uh, you're able to take Scripture and apply it to literally everything uh, that's valuable and important in life. And um, we did that on Sunday because we got, you know, as you're watching this podcast, this will be old news, but we're recording this on Tuesday mornings. And today is a big day for Indiana as it relates to uh, overriding an important veto. So let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. And so, I mean, the law you're talking about or the legislation, potential legislation is uh, concerning about female sports, protecting, protecting female, female sports. sports. Yep. Yeah. And basically that in Indiana, if you are a biological male, uh, you are not allowed to participate in, in, in ladies sports. And what we've seen at other places is that if you claim to be a female and, and you're a biological male, but you're really, you think you're a female, you're given access into the women's restroom, dressing rooms, uh, you know, all the intimate places uh, because it's wrong for us to consider you anything but what you feel on the inside that you are. Uh, we're going to talk about that in future sermon series and future podcasts. But this was overwhelmingly uh, supported. That is protecting female sports, uh, biological females only playing in in, uh, in sports in Indiana, competing in sports. Uh, but our governor pulled a pulled a, a surprise veto here. And, uh, and shot it down to the surprise of, uh, I think, most everybody in the state. We have a conservative Republican supermajority state with a Republican governor. And for him to do that uh, was pretty shocking. Uh, so today is the vote. We encourage people on Sunday, and I guess this is what I was alluding to. We encourage people from the pulpit on Sunday to make sure that they acted and that they called their representatives and said, hey, we need to override the governor's veto. Now, why would we do that in church? Well, we do that in church because this is ultimately a moral issue. God has spoken about these issues. It's because we co- we're concerned about our daughters and other and other young ladies that aren't our daughters, but uh, we're concerned about females in Indiana. And the church should be leading the way with a prophetic voice on these issues, not being silent or not ignoring or not pretending like these kinds of pieces of legislation do not have a tremendous impact on all of us. Uh, and so anyway, that uh, you, uh, hopefully this is, I, I'm hearing good things that this will be, will be uh, uh, overridden, which is great, but it means that we just have to continually be vigilant because the battles just keep coming one after the other. Uh, so anyway, let's get back to Living Stones, though. You know, we're talking uh, about a series on hosting the Holy Spirit. In our larger discussion today, we're going to talk about the health of the church 
and, uh, and, and two things that we must have uh, in every local church. And when we're talking about hosting the Holy Spirit, I don't know about you, but I've been shocked just at how many people that are coming into our culture have made the comment that they've been at churches for years that never preached, talked, heard any kind of emphasis about the Holy Spirit or his ministry. Yeah. That's shocking. And I think it's also a uh, a picture of why the church is perhaps in the weakest state that she's in. I think it's a, it's a term people say a lot. Yeah. Like, you know, um, we give courtesies, right. uh, uh, courtesy prayers or courtesy statements about the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Um, but to truly treasure the presence, acting like Holy Spirit is a real tangible presence, person, right. personality. Right. Yes. Uh, I think that's very different. Yeah, in, in and, and culture. to me, it's a it's a grieving thing because picture picture of you're the Holy Spirit. Put yourself in His place. Yeah. If, if you are the main, uh, you know, force. I, I use force not in terms of impersonal, but your yeah. your your ministry is the driving force for the church, and your presence is critical, and your your relationship is vital, and yet you're ignored. Um, it, it has to number one grief and break the Holy Spirit's heart, but the bigger grief I think, or equally great grief, is the impact on a a weak, irrelevant, compromised church. And so Sunday we talked from Exodus chapter 33 that the one distinguishing mark of God's people is that his presence is with them. Yeah. And, uh, and Moses understood this. Harry's trying to lead this massive, massive army of people out, out of Egypt into the promised land. And they're whining and complaining. And most of them haven't ever been converted into uh, uh, God lovers. Um, but he understood it's a fool's errand to try to do this without God with you. And I would just say to every pastor and to every believer, what a, what a foolish thing to try to live the Christian life without an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit or to try to lead a church uh, where there is no supernatural, empowering presence of God in your midst. There's no honoring of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And, uh, and so we just drove that point home. But I, uh, we had what we call Quarry on Sunday night. For those of you who are watching, Quarry is our leadership gathering, all of our people that are serving or people that are interested in serving. And I always tell people, just come to Quarry uh, and hang out there, whether you lead or not, because I know that when they get in that room, there is so much unity, so much love, so much vision. Uh, there's an electricity when we get our 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 leaders together, uh, that you literally get sucked into the vortex, so to speak. You know, it's like people go, whoa. And we saw that happen on Sunday night. There was a brand new couple. In fact, the, the, the man shared with me, he said, pastor, I've been, we've been searching everywhere. We just want to go to a place that's healthy. That was the word he used. We want to go to a church that's healthy. Uh, and we just want to be able to, to love and serve. And they were so impacted by the environment and by the sharing and, 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 and just the vision and the love and the support, the cheering. You know, we do a lot of cheering one another uh, that they were overcome. And I, I, I felt I thought of the, about that passage about um, Solomon and uh, the Queen of Sheba. You know, when she when she came into the splendor of his kingdom, she was so overwhelmed that she was almost speechless, you know. And she said, everything we've heard about you and about this kingdom is true. And I, I keep thinking, man, that's, that should be the testimony of the church when people come to, to, to worship. Wow, everything we heard about the glory and the splendor of the king and his kingdom is present here. We, we sense a move of God. We sense the presence of the Lord. And I, I love 
you know, hearing testimonies like well, that. So, so yeah, that was great. But to me, there's a grieving part because the comparison she had, they had about yeah. us wasn't us to the world. It was us to other churches. Yeah. And I'm not here to like ring other churches or to praise ours or whatever. Yeah. That's not even the point I'm trying to make. It was just like some of the things they said was, now I, I, I try to be in ministry, but there was so much religion. There's so much selfishness. Or I can't remember all the things they said. Yeah, a lot of politics, politics, bureaucracy, carnality, and and it was just like I wasn't able to really truly be trained. I just want to be a place where there's a presence. And and for me again, as the the grieving part was like, basically they're saying their church experience. I think they said like we've been hurt by churches. Um, their church experience is no better than the, their experience with the world. Right. You know, there's not that distinction. And, and we're having a lot of people who have come that are good people who love the Lord, who have been, yeah. uh, I call them burnt stones. You know, they're, they're, they're people like in Nehemiah's day when the walls have been knocked down and all you saw was a bunch of burnt stones on the ground. And I feel like God's desire is to care for those burnt stones. He loves the people, right? He, he cares about them. Many of them have had a calling on their lives to clean up those stones, reposition them back in the, in the wall. Uh, so that they can be uh, healed and that they can, you know, get back into effective ministry and service to the Lord. But I think the the world is full of these people, yeah. and I think part of the job of the church is to is to see them healed. But we're going to talk a little bit more about about what's going on in the church. But I want to get back to a, a kind of a foundational passage that has really spoken to me over the years. It's in Deuteronomy chapter four, um, and the Lord says, "Listen, Israel, carefully to these decrees and regulations that I'm about to teach you." Obey them that so that you may live. First of all, you know when we whether we're talking about men trying to compete in girls' sports or whether we're talking about the abortion issue, we need to understand that when God speaks to us and gives us His law, His commandments, they are for the purpose that we may live. They're they're a super highway to maximum life when you obey and honor the will of God and the Word of God. He says here, just obey, don't add, don't subtract. And then down in verse 5, this is important. He says, look, I now teach you these decrees and regulations just as the Lord my God commanded me. So Moses is giving, giving the people what God gave to him so that you may obey them in the land you're about to enter and occupy. And, he, and here's the promise, obey them completely and you will display your wisdom and intelligence among the surrounding nations. When they hear all these decrees, they will exclaim, how wise and prudent are the people of this great nation. And then verse 7, this, is the, this has been a foundational verse in my life. For what great nation has a God as near to them as the Lord our God is near to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation has decrees and regulations as righteous and fair as this body of instructions that I'm giving you today? So, when you ask what sets great nations apart from from weak nations, it's the presence of God in that nation. He's near to them, but it's also the decrees of God. In other words, the decrees of God display a nation's wisdom. When you honor God's word and when you pass legislation that is in alignment with the word of God, uh, you display the wisdom of God. And when you display the wisdom of God, you live in the blessing of God. And that means prosperity. Your families are blessed. In fact, you go on at the end of Deuteronomy and God says, here's the blessings, here's the curses. And um, and so I just, you know, when we talk about at Living Stones, we want to be a, a word and spirit church. This is exactly what we're talking about. We want to be deeply immersed in the word of God. And we also want to be uh, deeply intimate with the spirit of God. Uh, we want the presence of God and we want the word of God. And I think 
Churches uh, that that have neither are in big trouble. Churches that have only one uh, instead of both are also very weakened. And we're seeing that weakness happen across America today. Um, I wanted to highlight an article here. This is from uh, Dr. Michael Brown, who has a very good uh, talk show and, and blog. But um, he refers to Isaiah chapter 52, verse 5, All day long my name is constantly blasphemed. And he highlights, you know, back in the day, this is when we were growing up. I'm a few years ahead of you, but there were all the televangelist scandals. Remember those? Yeah, why well, don't, but heard yeah. of them. And the, and the church got a massive black eye mm -hmm. because of the, the, the wickedness. Which of, led to a diminishing of church in the popular culture today. Oh, yeah, yeah. They, people said, forget the church. And, and again, right. the, the, the root of it is God's name is blasphemy. Yeah. And then we had... Um, you know, we're still, we, I, I would love to do a podcast to kind of weed this one out, but uh, there were all those who were saying that the church became politicized, especially during the last campaign cycle, and that they were more identified with a certain candidate than they were with Jesus, which I, I think is up for grabs. But anyway, the church also was take, taking a black eye during that. Uh, then we had a beloved uh, Christian apologist who we highlighted on this program. He's a household name. He's, he would have been viewed as a model Christian who was living a double lifestyle, and uh, and that was publicly exposed. Another black eye for the church. Then we had uh, one of the uh, presidents of the, the world's largest Christian university, who came out as having an affair, and uh, and he was removed from the university. His father was a great evangelist, a godly man, a man of prayer, uh, and so this was another massive black eye for the church. Recently, we've seen uh, the Hillsong movement, who, by the way, we know and love. Right? We sing a lot of their, a lot of their worship songs. They've been used by God over the years greatly. I don't want to diminish any of that. And there's a lot of great people still in that movement. So we don't want to, you know, tar and feather the whole movement because of the failures of a few prominent people. But there's been some of their national leadership that has been exposed uh, for sexual immorality or compromised. Another black eye for the church. And then I want to pause here because this is news now. Uh, the Southern Baptist Convention, the nation's largest Protestant denomination, has been accused of a massive cover-up of sexual sin among the movement. Now, again, the Southern Baptist Association does much great work, uh, many godly people, so we don't want to, again, beat the whole denomination up. But, but the point is there's been systemic, widespread sexual sin that has been uh, ignored and covered up. And the, and the double tragedy of this is, number one, there's a victim involved, right, a sex, uh, the, who's ever victimized by the sexual sin. But they're doubly victimized when leadership sweeps things under the rug, when leadership denies that it happened, when leadership turns, the, turns their head um, or simply chooses not to listen to these people who, you know, who have been victims. Yeah. And so the rot of the church of Jesus Christ right now in America is beginning to, to be exposed. And sometimes we wonder why is, um, why is our nation spiraling, you know, out of control with such moral depravity? Well, you got to go back and you got to look at the pulpit. Yeah. And, uh, and I think again, these things are things that, again, we're not throwing stones. We, we grieve at these things because, uh, the Lord's name is blasphemed and because, the church is weak, and when the church is weak, the culture is weak, and, and, and people are victimized, and people are without Christ, and people end up spending eternity separated from the Lord simply because the church hasn't been hasn't been the church. Yeah. Um, he went on to share, share some things uh, that I think are important for us to remember. Uh, he, the, first of all, 
Our job as the church is to make sure we're not willfully and systematically covering up sin. We had this question at our starting point class the other day, and I, you know, just made it very clear we don't have any lumps under our carpet. Uh, uh, we want to live in transparency. We want to be authentic. We want to live sexually pure lives. We want to honor the Holy Spirit. Um, and so those are areas that we have to make sure as the church we're not becoming uh, accomplices to you know, terrible, terrible things and perversion. Uh, we just did that series on uh, on shame where we talked about authenticity, vulnerability, vulnerability, being honest, confessing our sins. You know, you and I have talked on this podcast before about uh, pornography. That's uh, the church is full of pornography uh, and how we need to come clean if we expect to be, you know, the powerful people God's called us to be. Yeah. Um, I also want to talk about the Barna survey that just came out, especially on this podcast. Uh, this was reported in Decision Magazine. It says a new study from the Cultural Research Center in Arizona at Arizona Christian University, guided by popular Christian pollster George Barna, found that just 37% of Christian pastors in the United States have a biblical worldview. <laughs> now, that is unbelievable. It's unbelievable, yeah. Um, and so what does that mean, you know, as a Christian worldview? Well, it means that the Bible is informing their views on what's going on in culture, and the Bible is informing their uh, their understanding of truth, and the Bible and the Christian worldview is helping them interpret and understand what's going on in culture. And we saw a massive failure during COVID, during the BLM, during critical race theory, uh, when it seemed like the church, instead of instead of speaking and directing the culture, we started getting in the parade and wearing the t-shirts and marching along with the... Yeah, we're being directed by the culture. Exactly. So so we're not leading, we're, we're, we're being conformed. We're not, tr we're not transforming culture, we're being conformed into what the culture's doing. Yeah. And, uh, and these are huge. I mean, 37%, and he went on to say executive pastors only have four, only 4% 4 have a biblical worldview. So <laughs> the executive pastors are the ones actually running the details of the church yeah. and working with the ministries. I mean, so this is, this is tragic to think that if, how in the world are we supposed to make disciples of all nations if the people that are tasked with discipling don't possess a biblical worldview themselves? Yeah. And, uh, and what we're, my question is, what worldview do they espouse? Absolutely. Popular culture worldview, Hollywood worldview. Absolutely. Know, education, high elite educational, you know, higher education worldviews, whatever that is, you know. He, so. he said here, and Barnett, quote, just to what you're talking about, he said, uh, this is another strong piece of evidence that the culture is influencing the American church more than the uh, Christian churches are influencing the culture. Um he goes on to say here, if only four in ten believers have a biblical worldview, how in the world can four in ten pastors have a, have a biblical worldview? So a lot of this has to do with, you know, what what are we preaching? And, and I get back to the, the very point we talked about. Are we deeply committed to the truth and scriptures? Yeah. And secondly, are we inviting the Holy Spirit into our midst? And are we honoring the person of the Holy Spirit? Um because otherwise, we're just going to be parroting what whatever the world's doing. We're going to be we're going to be trying to be cool. We're going to be focusing on building our churches in numbers only, but not building people. Uh, the integrity of the gospel, I think, gets gets you know thrown into the ditch uh, because uh, we're not living what we're what we're preaching, and what we're preaching is so watered down yeah. um, that people come to church and they, they they're no different after a year hanging out with us if they last that long. You know, and I've always said that there should be something, you know, church should be like shock and awe. I mean that in a good way. 
We're not here to try to coddle you. We're not here to try to lead you along like a, like a chicken dropping little scraps in front of you. So we lead you along somewhere. We're here to, to, to hopefully uh, create a, a, an environment where the Holy Spirit powerfully it touches people, powerfully changes people, where the word of God, when it's preached, penetrates your heart to where you go, oh, I need to change. God, forgive me, Lord, you know, to come into my life. Uh, Lord, I don't want to live that way any longer. I don't want to be compromised. I, I want to please you. I mean, th this is stuff that only the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, you know, can do together. Yep. Um, and uh, and I'm, what, I'm, what we're seeing is, unfortunately, that much of the rot in the, in the Church of Jesus Christ goes right back to our pulpits. Um, there's a famous quote that I've loved over the years by Charles Finney, but it really, it, it challenges me as a pastor. Uh, and it came from uh, one of his favorite famous sermons, but he said, brethren, our preaching will bear its legitimate fruits. If immorality prevails in the land, the fault is ours to a great degree. He's talking to, to pastors here. If there is a decay of conscience, the pulpit is responsible for it. If public press, the media, lacks moral discrimination, boy, are we there right now. The pulpit is responsible for it. If the church is degenerate and worldly, the pulpit is responsible for it. If the world loses its interest in religion, the pulpit is responsible for it. If Satan rules in our halls of legislation, the pulpit is responsible for it. If our politics become so corrupt that the very foundations of our government are ready to fall away, the pulpit is responsible for it. He ends, he says, let us not ignore this fact, my dear brethren, but let us lay it to heart and be thoroughly awake to our responsibility in respect to the morals of this nation. Let's pause here. I mean, he, he couldn't be any more prophetic as if he were speaking on the evening news tonight because every one of these areas is in, is in decay as we speak. And I will take this i mean he's kind of speaking from a very john the baptist prophetic level but let me bring this to an operational level i'm asked the question why are pastors afraid to speak on these issues is, is it simply yeah. a, i mean yeah you can say it's because there's a lack of there's a fear of men um perhaps where they weren't trained correctly so it's a cascade of years and years of lack of discipleship Perhaps it's uh, a missional, the missional idea of ministry and preaching is no longer there. Preaching is actually uh, not just not a place to uh, proclaim God's greatness, but preaching is a place to gain followers, which is just, uh, the same thing as pleasing men, but it's, it's a completely different perspective. I mean, you can preach for the glory of God. You can preach to make your church bigger. I mean, it, those are sometimes it's hard to see when you're in the middle of it, but at the end of the day, this will those are two completely different things. Yeah, know? and every every week we have a choice. We ask the question, what are we going to preach on? And and uh, are we going to address what's going on in the larger culture and apply scripture to it? Well, many times the things that are going on in culture are controversial. And so pastors go, why in the world do I want to touch that uh, when I can preach on something much more uplifting and positive? But at the same time, we're failing to address the issues that are screaming all around us and and we're failing to disciple the next generation so when they don't hear anything from the pulpits uh they're going to be discipled by the media they're going to be discipled by the schools or you know that someone someone's discipling them if it's not the pulpits of america and i i think about you know when jesus was preaching a very hard controversial thing you got eat my flesh drink my blood when he was criticizing the religious class yep um it's interesting because he absolutely preached hard messages and people left but when he asked his disciples, 
are you guys going to leave me too? They said, no, we've seen, we seen the truth. You are, you are the one. Where else can we go? I mean, yeah. that's basically their, their message. And I, I think what's compelling to me from this is, is um, a lot of times when you don't invest in relationships, with your congregation, when we have the mega church model, again, I'm not criticizing mega church, but I mean, just I, don't, I shouldn't call it mega church model. I mean, if it's a secret sensitive, it's a crowd pleasing model. Okay, right. If that's how you build, that's how you cut your teeth. There's not an infrastructure of relational stuff, which takes work and time, and energy, and development, and, and truly caring for people. You yeah. can't just go out and put a show. You have to actually release that infrastructure. You don't have that infrastructure in place. What's going to happen is this, inevitably, because it, it, because this disciple state, the people who stay with Jesus are like, yeah, you preach a hard word. We don't fully understand it, but we know you. Right. We sing you. We live with you. I, Where else are we going to go? I love what Ivan Tate said to this regard. He's talking about parenting. He yeah. said, whoever whoever has your child's heart yeah. will, ha will have the most influence over your child. Therefore, kind of what you said, we, if parents, if it's all about law, stop it. Don't do that. What did I tell you? You know, uh, and there's no relational heart connection then our kids will go somewhere else wherever their hearts are connected to be disciple whether it's music or hollywood or their friends yeah. it's the same thing in the church and i think you're exactly right jesus made disciples by touching their lives and then spending time with them i mean i think about his 12 how many times did he go on a a, a healing crusade preaching crusade and yeah. then afterwards he, he went away with the disciples and i think what he did was he processed what was going on he explained why he did what he did why he said what he said why this was true um why this happened why this didn't happen i mean i think there was a lot of time debriefing and challenging them and loving them and, and as well as laughing and eating eating a meal together yeah. And again, I think that's that's what we've been trying to do is build really strong infrastructure, relational infrastructure to where we know each other, we love each other, yeah. we do life together because the challenges of our culture are hard and you can't just go at it with a scripture verse alone. You have to have relation connection as well. And, and this is something I learned from a lot of these kingdom business and kingdom. Like the idea is like we're most people are good at high accountability, which is just telling people what to do, or high relational style. Rarely are anybody good at both. Yeah. But but how God how God has discipled us, Jesus disciples his his disciples. Is, is he's high relational style and high accountability. He doesn't let his disciples get away with stuff, but at the same yeah. time, he builds high relationship. And that's what we should strive to be. The problem, I, I think for many preachers or pastors, they struggle this so much because they, they grow so quickly. And I mean, we're kind of in that phase right now. We're, we're struggling to keep up with our growth in terms of having that relational infrastructure. Yeah. And we're, but we understand that we're working hard to catch up to it because we understand like that relational equity is so important in, yeah. in, in a church in, 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 in Christianity in our discipleship process that, you know, I, I mean, this is a strong word, but I'm talking about just like on the day to day accountability, like the people who I'm mentoring discipling, I gotta give them hard words, not maybe on these things, but like on their personal life and correction and stuff like that without strong relational equity, that yeah. becomes difficult. I just throw that throw the rebuke out there with all the equity. Well, and, and what they're saying, first of all, is that the church has a moral responsibility to the culture. And I think we have a strong example of this. We just saw where the uh, the archdiocese of, of uh, San Francisco yeah. uh, actually basically excommunicated or banned uh, Nancy Pelosi, our speaker, from communion. Right? From communion. Yeah. Now, let's just pause right there. You know, this is interesting. I, I had a, uh, we had the uh, theologian Whoopi Goldberg <laughs> Who, who was speaking about the issue? She said, um, 
Here I'm, I'm quoting, uh, the Archbishop of San Francisco is calling for Speaker Nancy Pelosi to be denied receiving communion because of her pro-choice stance. This is not your job, dude. This is not up to you to make that decision. Well, Whoopi, unfortunately, it is uh, the, uh, her priest's job to speak the truth and to hold her feet to the fire. And basically, you know, we, we, we saw something radical that happened um, in our uh, our house, uh, our house or Senate, I'm getting confused. But there was a radical piece of legislation that allowed basically for abortion all the way up through nine months of pregnancy. Every single Democrat voted in favor of that piece of legislation, except Senator Joe Manchin from uh, from West Virginia. Yeah. Every single Democrat voted that it's okay to take a child's life from conception all the way up to, to uh, right the moments before birth, a perfectly healthy child. This, this is just gruesome, pagan, wicked to the max. And many of these folks would claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. It is the job of the church to hold leaders accountable uh, to what they profess. And when it's evil, wicked behavior like this, that person should not be just coming to church after promoting this kind of wickedness and just be in good standing with the church. This is exactly what Paul talked about, right? Ex yeah. uh, with the... Um, uh, with the Second uh, First Corinthians, and he talks about the... But there's the, gross sexual sin. Yeah, yeah. And, and and Paul basically called him out on that. And, you know, we've had we've had to do that in the church a few times on certain issues, especially as it relates to being a member. And what is membership about? It means you're part of the visible church of Jesus Christ. You know, we can't continue to live in overt, blatant sin um, and then come to church and act like we're part of Christ's church. It doesn't work that way. Uh, uh, our, our authority is the scriptures and and our the number one person we want at church on Sunday is the Holy Spirit. And guess what? He's not going to come in his manifest presence and be with us when we're allowing uh, blatant, overt, unrepented sin to, to, to be a part of our, our church culture. Yeah. And uh, on these high visible, visible cases, we're talking about the, the Speaker of the House who claims to be a devout Catholic. This is exactly what the church should be doing. And the world won't like this. The media won't like this. But these are the these are the difficult stands that the church has had to take, and the spiritual leadership has had to take. Uh, that unfortunately is not happening today. And and I just say praise God for for the diocese there, uh, for what they're doing because that's exactly what needs what needs to be done. Um, so again. We've got to be a prophetic voice. We're called to be salt. We're called to be light. But but all of our salt and light means nothing if we're not living it ourselves. Yeah, and and we need to continue to build relationship because I, I I appreciate this our bishop saying that. But my question is, how much relationship do you have with Nancy Pelosi now? I think he did reach out to her a couple times. Yeah, and you brought up a good point. The purpose of spiritual discipline, yeah, is not to punish people. It's for restoration. Yeah, talk about that. Yeah, a he actually. I, I saw someone talking about. I mean, basically the whole. I, he, the archives, whatever. Yeah. I don't know that much about the Catholic hierarchy, but the idea is to restore her soul. He's concerned. He's pastoring her. He's concerned for her soul. I think he's reached out to her a couple of times. She refused to respond. But but this is all like to me, this is like they don't have any relationship. Like he's her pastor, but is he really? Like, right. you know, it's not like they have any. But I love what you said. We're concerned for your soul because, again, we're coming from a Christian worldview. The right. Christian worldview says what we believe and how we live matters. And you can lose it all. You can spend eternity in hell when you live a, a godless, wicked lifestyle. This is not about politics at the end of the day. Politics will come and go. 
This is about a person's soul. And that's what we're called to care for in the local church. We care for people's souls, their souls that are eternal. Our choices matter. The way we live our lives matter. It, it puts the authority and the integrity back in the church and back in the pulpit when we preach the gospel and we act like this really matters, which it does. It's, it has eternal consequences. Yeah. Uh, so this is huge. Uh, on another scale, I'm encouraged to see that wokeness in corporate America is starting to be punished uh, with dollars and with the loss of revenue. Now, you and I were just talking about this before the show. Maybe we could just talk about this a little bit because we're running out of time. But, but there is a massive disconnect between the kind of globalist, the elite uh, elements of society and everyday American life. And we're yeah. starting to see that being exposed. I think, I think, first of all, Donald Trump, when he ran his campaign, it was very much a, a populist, uh, America first, care for the people kind of a campaign and it was widely uh, uh, popular by so many people um, people accused him of not being a globalist not caring about the bigger picture no he he, he was concerned about americans and he communicated that uh, Ron DeSantis, with what he's doing now in florida he's basically saying to to woke disney you're not going to sit here and attack our legislature and attack the people that they represent with your elitist values and he held them accountable. And man, stock prices plummeted. I just saw this is this was interesting as well. State Farm sent out a mass email to their staff, stating we will no longer support this program after they were exposed for supporting a project to push LGBTQ books in the schools. And here's a copy of the uh, subject, the email on gender curriculum. But basically, they're distanced now that it was exposed. They're distancing themselves as quickly as they can because they realize most Americans are sick and tired of having this kind of radical leftist perverted ideology uh, shoved down our, our throats, whether it's corporate America, whether it's in public schools. Uh, and there is a massive backlash. Yeah. And I think, uh, again, uh, corporate America, which for many, many years was on the right side of these issues, now has gone woke and on the wrong side of these issues, I think the pendulum is starting to swing back. Um, and I think, you know, well, the proof of this has yet to be seen in the uh, elections that are coming up in November, but uh, from what we're hearing, uh, there are a lot of people that are very, very upset with what's going on in America. I think the pendulum swing in terms of this, I think the elitism, yeah. elitism of the separation between the politi elite politicians and the people, the separation between elite Ivy Tower educators, educational yep. educators and students, uh, but even the church, elitism, the woke pre pulpit versus the congregation or the pews, which people are just normal people who are like, wait a second, what? Yeah. Um, I think people are kind of tired of that elitist yeah. mentality. They're looking for leaders and they're looking for leaders who, who are not afraid to speak the truth to go against the media and corporate America and, like you said, higher education, and, and just to stand for what everybody knows is right. And when I say everybody, there, there's a sense in the common person out there that to have a six foot five guy who thinks he's a girl in your in the locker room with your 16 year old daughter or competing uh, against a bunch of other biological females. This is wrong. This is this is like so wrong it's 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 unjust and it's perverted at, at the deepest level when it comes to allowing this to be the norm in our uh, intimate places um 
I don't care what political stripe you come from. If you have a daughter, you have enough sense to realize this is wrong. This is just out there. Uh, and so they're looking for that from the pulpit. That's why we've experienced such growth, because we talk about these issues from the pulpit, and we, uh, uh, and we stand for truth from the pulpit. And I think Americans across the board are looking for leaders who will represent basic uh, you know, biblical values and common sense values that America was founded on. So yeah. um, anyway, last thing I want to say is, and this is another worldview issue. Most of us are, are hurting right now because when we go to the gas pump, we're seeing you know, incredible inflation that is robbing us of all kinds of our, our, our value. You know, whether it's in, I just met with the financial planner the other day uh, for my mama and realizing that inflation robs, you, robs all of your long-term investments, right? It just sucks the value right out of your investments, out of your, out of your worth. You go to the gas, gas station and you're paying you know, three, four times what we paid only a few years ago. And what we're finding is the reason there's nobody in Washington is doing anything is because this this is exactly what their worldview promotes. They they want to they want fossil fuels to go out the out the door and they want everything to become uh, electric and all of this is supposed to save you know Mother Earth because uh, global warming and blah 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 blah. All of that's a worldview that's not a biblical worldview at all, but it's an intentional worldview. Uh, to drive up gas prices because this is part of the great reset and the great transition. All of it goes back to somebody's worldview. And that's, I guess, the point of this podcast. Do you have a Christian worldview? Are you one of these global warming alarmists? If you are, you're not, you're not reading your Bible. Uh, you're not coming from a Christian perspective on the environment. Um, all of this stuff matters, and that's what we're going to try to talk about on these podcasts. Hopefully it's, it's helpful to you. But I guess I just want to say... Uh, it breaks my heart. I, I, as a man of God, want to make sure I am living in integrity. That's why I have you in my life. That's why I'm in your life. That's why we're accountable relationally. Um, but the church must experience revival in America if we're going to see our nation saved. The, the issue before us are not fundamentally political. They're deeply spiritual. They're rooted in worldview. They're rooted in the word of God, and they're rooted in the spirit of God. And, um, and man, we just need an awakening in our nation, but it has to start first and foremost in the church of Jesus Christ. So thank you guys for watching today. We hope this is helpful. Spread this podcast far and wide. We love to hear your comments. Um, we want to make sure we're speaking to issues that are impacting you. Uh, and hopefully when you're watching this podcast, uh, when it comes out on Thursday, we will have had some good news right here in Indiana um, regarding uh, the override of this veto. Uh, in the meantime, we encourage you to come out, be a part of a local church. If you're in the area, we'd love you to come out and visit Living Stones uh, on a Sunday morning and check us out. Um, uh, but be planted and be rooted and be discipled and be in a healthy church environment where the word of God is honored and where the Holy Spirit is welcome. All right, until next Thursday, have an amazing week. We'll see you then.